Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of the Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the birth of Cain as we pick up in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve have been expelled from the garden because of their disobedience to God. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, there are always people who are ready to make up theories concerning how certain things happened or what certain things were. But let me say, wherever the Bible is silent, it is best that we be silent. I'm not really interested in conjecturing on the Scriptures. But there are those who teach that Eve's sin with the serpent uh, was that... uh, Actually, Eve had copulation with the serpent, according to many people's theory, and Cain is the product of that relationship. And so, uh, actually, Cain has a descendant of, of men after Satan, and then Abel was, you know, the relationship between Adam and Eve. But the Scripture does not support that at all. Very clearly here in chapter 4, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and that's just a a way of saying that they had intimate uh, relationship, and she conceived and bare Cain. That's the plain, obvious teaching of the Scriptures, and thus I count as fantasy the theory that men have devised. Now, when Cain was born, you remember that God promised that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. And Eve thought that God was fulfilling the promise through Cain. She thought that this is the fulfillment. And so she said, I have gotten a man-child from the Lord. In other words, this is the one that God has promised that is going to bruise the serpent's head. She was mistaken. Cain was no doubt a disappointment. And she again bare his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offerings, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, why is it that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept Cain's sacrifice? There are those who say it was because Cain offered the works of his hands whereas Abel offered a blood sacrifice unto God. 
and thus was Abel's accepted while Cain's was rejected. That sounds very plausible. But it is interesting that later on when God established the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, they did have what was called in your King James meat offerings, but it's really the meal offerings, and they did offer the grain, the meal, pressed into a flour little cakes. They were a legitimate offering unto the Lord in sacrifice. So it isn't really one is, is you know, is, is of a crop nature and the other is a blood sacrifice. In Hebrews, we are told that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So the problem with Cain's was that his was not of faith, whereas Abel's sacrifice was one of faith. That's the basic difference. One believing God and trusting God, the other not believing. Thus all of the sacrifices you may make without faith are worthless. But faith was the quality that made Abel's sacrifice acceptable unto God. And that is the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament and quite often the very best and most valuable commentary you can find for the Old Testament is the New Testament itself, where there are many interesting insights given to us in the New Testament of the Old Testament scriptures. And so this is one where in Hebrews we find the difference between the two sacrifices. One was offered in faith and thus was accepted. Now the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? In other words, Cain was obviously angry that his was not accepted. Now, by what virtue they knew that his was not accepted, the Scripture doesn't say. But they no doubt had in those days a very intimate type of communication with God. Because here is God speaking to Cain and saying, Why do you look so angry? Why is your face fallen? And God is now giving to Cain a second chance. He said, If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? In other words, if you're doing the right thing, I'll accept you. He's encouraging him to the right kind of action now. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, then sin lieth at your door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so the Lord speaks of the sin at the door of Cain. And God said, you know, get things right. Offer again. If you're doing the right thing, it will be accepted. But Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass after they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, 
which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Now, because God is questioning, it doesn't mean that God doesn't know. God knows all things, but he still asks questions, not for his information, but the questions of God are to open us up, perhaps even to a confession here. You see, when Cain tried to pass it off with a lie, God knew exactly what was going on. He, he said, where is your brother? God knew exactly where his brother was. He wanted an acknowledgement from Cain of what he had done. Because if we acknowledge our sins, if we confess our sins, then we give God a basis to forgive our sins. The Bible says that he who seeks to cover his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses his sins shall be forgiven. So God is asking, not because he didn't know where Abel was, he knew exactly what was going on. He wanted a confession out of Cain in order that he might have a basis to grant forgiveness and pardon. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But man seems to have a difficult time confessing his sin, his guilt. In Proverbs it says, There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, but the truth is far from them. How often we seek to justify the things that we have done, rather than just saying those three hardest words to utter in the English language, I was wrong. Oh, how hard that is to say. Because, you see, I'm never wrong, really. It's just, if this had not had happened and that had not had happened, I wouldn't have done it. And the woman that thou gavest me to be my wife. That's, you know, there's always some reason. There's always some excuse. It's never really me. Why is it that we always want to find fault or blame with some ulterior cause? rather than just accepting the blame and the responsibility ourselves. If I cut my finger with a knife, it's because the kids have the music on too loud in the other room. And so I go storming in and say, turn that music down, you know, and holding my finger. Uh, it really isn't that I'm just careless. And I shouldn't have been trying to carve it that way. You see, there's always some reason or some outside fault. Man seems to basically be that way, trying to cast the blame onto something else. But God is always zeroing in, wanting that confession. Because until I confess my sin, God really can't righteously forgive me my sins. And so when God is questioning, it's not for God's information purposes but it's to give man that opportunity to confess in order that God might have the opportunity to grant the forgiveness. Where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? 
You see, the questions are to elicit the confession from Cain. And then God goes ahead and declares what he has done. Your brother's blood is crying from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Really, his punishment was very mild for the crime that he had committed. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the earth, and from, the face, from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Now, herein, of course, creates a big problem for a lot of people. Where did Cain get his wife? I think this is one of the most oft-asked Bible questions. The genealogical records that are given to us in the Bible are not at all complete. The Lord is interested really in only one genealogical line, and that is the line that comes from Abraham through David to Christ. None of the rest of them are really important. Some of the families are followed for a little while just to give you sort of a brief historic background to show you areas of the world that were populated by certain people, descendants of certain people. But they'll only trace other lines for just a short way. It cuts off. And the basic line that we are going to follow is the line that will lead from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and from David to Jesus Christ. After Jesus Christ, genealogical records are of no value. We don't need them anymore. The only value of holding or maintaining a genealogical record is to bring it down to Jesus Christ so that when he is born, it will be proved that God fulfilled his promise to David and to Abraham that through thy seed shall the nations of the world be blessed. And so Adam and Eve had sons and daughters that aren't even listed. Their names aren't even given. As we get into the fifth chapter and we find a genealogical chart, it names just one son because we're only following one line as it will bring us ultimately to Abraham. They had many other children. It says they had sons and daughters. But we're only interested in one family line, the one that will bring us to Abraham. We're not interested in all of the sons and daughters that they may have had.
Now, at the time that Cain killed his brother Abel, they were probably 120 years old at this point. And by this time, there were no doubt many other brothers and sisters, children of Adam and Eve, who no doubt had their children, who had their children. He could have married a cousin. He could have married uh, or a niece on down the line. There are, there are many possibilities. The Bible doesn't trace and isn't interested in tracing all the families of men, just the one line to bring us to Abraham in order that we might come to Christ. And so he could have married a sister. In the beginning, there would have been a much purer strain. There could have been intermarriage between brother and sister without a a genetic foul-up, which would exist today in close intermarriage uh, because of, of the whole scheme of things that has you know, deteriorated down through the years. You're not nearly as healthy as was Cain and Abel and their brothers and sisters. At 120 years, they were just starting. I'll never get that far. (laughs) But they lived to be 900 years old, 930, 960, and so forth. And so there was a much purer strain at the beginning He could have easily married his sister. There's really no problem with uh, Cain finding a wife and marrying her. Now, for a moment, we're going to follow Cain's descendants. But there's no sense of carrying them out very far because his descendants were all destroyed in the flood. And so you'll start out with a new race after Noah. But we'll follow them for just a moment here in chapter 5. We'll trace them for a little way. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And Cain built a city and named it after Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujiel. Mahujiel begat Methusiel. Methusiel begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the other was Zillah. Ada bare Jabal, who was the father of such who dwell in tents and of such who have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such that handled the harp and the organ. So we see uh, the early development of instruments. And Zillah bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artifice, artificer in brass and iron. So really, it is interesting that iron appeared in an antediluvian age, before the flood. They'd already begun to use iron, so had developed certain smelting methods. Now, it is interesting that even till the time of David, Israel had not advanced to an iron age. Many of their enemies would come in with iron chariots, and Israel was always at a great disadvantage. Uh, It wasn't really until about the time of Solomon that they really began to smelt copper and and come into a a, a use of metals. Uh, But uh, 
Israel was, was slow in, in the development of metals, but here in an antediluvian age, they were using brass and iron, which of course is very interesting. And the name of his sister was Nama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Or I have a young man who was seeking to wound me, trying to hurt me. I've killed him. It was a thing of self-defense. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold or sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And so uh, Lamech told his wife, a young man was trying to hurt me. He was seeking to wound me. I killed him. And if, if Cain is going to be avenged seven times, I ought to be avenged seventy times seven. Interesting figure because I heard that again someplace. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 4 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord help you to assimilate that which we have studied. And may He bring to your remembrance those things which He has commanded. And may you be enriched in the knowledge of God and His will and His plan for your life. May the Lord be with you to bless you, to guide you, and may you be kept by that power of God through faith and trust in Him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled, A Memoir of Grace. 
you're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll-free at 1-800-272-WORD.